Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Well, that must mean it's time for us to talk to Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun this morning. Good morning, Vaughn. And good morning, Simi. All right, here we are. I know we sound like broken records, but we have to give the update on BC Ferries because we're getting lots of information, uh, but things not starting out so smoothly. Yeah, well, at least we're getting the information from ferries now. They are providing regular updates, and the regular updates are candid that the troubles continue. So officially, the long weekend begins in terms of ferry travel on Thursday because people get away early. They have a day off or time or accumulated overtime, or they just make a run for the ferries because uh, they know it's going to get worse as the weekend goes on. And I'm hearing uh, on your news this morning, uh, there are a couple of troubles already. So it's bumpy to begin with. Uh, We'll just take note of it uh, and say uh, it's still a work in progress, this turnaround on the ferries. I will say, though, just looking at the current conditions of that, you know, Tawasin to Swartz Bay route, I mean, there's still room on the 8 a.m. ferry. There's, I mean, this morning actually looks pretty, a couple of them are full. The 10 o'clock is full, the 2 o'clock is full, but the other off-peak hour ones, there's still some room on there. So hopefully things go a little more smoothly. I hope that's true. I feel for people who have no choice because of limited travel time or work, or this was when they booked their holidays, who have to travel this weekend. Long time Victoria residents like me, and I've been here forever, it feels like. You, there's no way you, you would travel right. on BC ferries on a long weekend if you could possibly avoid it. Victoria is a lovely place. It's a great place to shelter, and I plan to go for walks in the capital region today, and I'm not going near the BC ferries. Lucky me, I do feel for the people who have no choice. Yes, exactly. Okay, so let's talk about some of the plans, though, because a lot of this, they, they've got a big capital plan, right? Yeah, the CEO on his, uh, you know, big briefing for the news media on Wednesday talked about long-term plans, and one of the things he mentioned is, Uh, Ferries has a plan to spend more than $5 billion over the next 12 years adding to the fleet. And the first uh, $2.5 billion will be spent in the next contract period starting next year. So uh, very enthusiastic about it. A lot of promise there. Looking forward to getting on with it. But checking the website of the ferries commissioner yesterday... Uh, I discovered what he isn't telling us, which is the ferries commissioner has some concerns about the ferries capital plan. So the commissioner is the regulator of the ferry service, Eva Haga, and she reviews the plans and she sent the capital plan out for review by, uh, De- by Deloitte. And Deloitte said, there's some problems with this plan. Deloitte, first of all, noted that over the last three years, BC Ferries has gone an average 12% over budget on capital projects. And the report said there's some problems uh, with their estimating, with their risk assessment, with their management of projects when they get in trouble. And the commissioner agrees with that. So she says 
Fairy's going to have to smarten up. She's told fairies about that. And uh, Fairy Corporation gave me a statement yesterday saying, uh, yeah, we're aware of all that and we're dealing with it and we're going to get some outside help in managing capital projects. So, I mean, good on them doing it. It's not, however, something they were advertising when they talked to the news media on Wednesday. Right. So clearly there's quite a few caveats in there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the big ones is, and I, I think the commissioner, the ferry commissioner doesn't get a lot of attention, but on this one, she's done the right thing. She's got a report that says that ferries has been running 12% over budget on capital projects. And so what she said is in future, if the ferries get approval for a project from her, and then they discover later on that they're going more than 5% over budget, they have to come back to her and explain why they're over budget and get approval for the overrun. So the regulator doing her job here, BC Ferries gets a lot of money from the provincial government uh, for all kinds of things, $200 million a year. They just got a half a billion dollars to hold down fares. So I think that's a case of the regulator doing her job. I can see why BC Ferries may not want to draw a lot of attention to it. I think she's done the right thing, but that puts a question mark over the effectiveness of the $5 billion capital plan because it's now proceeding on a fairly short leash from the regulator. Very surprising news from the Prime Minister this week. We're back with Vaughn Palmer for more on that. Right, Vaughn? Yeah, and not what you think was the big news of him this week. I think in terms of public policy, and especially for British Columbia with its housing troubles, the biggest news of the week from the Prime Minister was his statement in Hamilton on Monday that, quote, I'll be blunt, housing is not primarily a federal responsibility. So his reading of the Constitution may be correct, but as the Conservatives quickly pointed out with a very effective Add, that's not what Justin Trudeau said when he was running for prime minister in 2015 and not what he's been saying for years, which is he was going to solve the problem of affordable housing. So he can't really wash his hands of it because, first of all, the promises, but also, Simi, I think we have to say, and the BC government has pointed this out effectively, The reason, one of the main reasons we have a housing crisis in British Columbia is the enormous amount of immigration that Ottawa has been approving. Mm -hmm. I mean, the numbers coming to BC are way above what we're actually building here. No, absolutely. There's a good piece on the the, uh, ORCA website this week from uh, Jock Finlayson, Ken Peacock, BC Business Council, pointing out, and I think the number that really jumps out is... Uh, British Columbia accepted 180,000 new residents last year, and it built 40,000 new units of housing. Now, those aren't just immigrants or people moving (coughs) from other provinces. They're temporary foreign workers, so there's a whole bunch of things going on. But um, that isn't – 40,000 units of housing is a lot of housing. We're doing – we're building a lot. We're not keeping up with – the people who are arriving here, never mind uh, all the other things that are contributing to the crisis. 
That is uh, a lot. That's a big difference. That's a big difference here. So, but yeah, that's is. not what we heard from them yesterday. Weren't they in town yesterday to make some big yes, housing announcement? The, so the federal cabinet minister, uh, Sajan, who's from British Columbia, is in town yesterday saying, announcing $208 million. That's not a small amount of money for uh, purpose-built rental housing. So Ottawa is putting money into it. And, he's, and he kind of goes, you know, Maybe the prime minister didn't really mean what he said. My guess is you're going to see federal ministers walking that back. But BC's big issue, which I think is the one that Ottawa needs to address, is British Columbia is not opposed to immigration. And it's certainly not opposed to people moving here from other provinces or from temporary foreign workers or from foreign students, all of which is contributing to it. But what BC has been saying is that Ottawa ought to spend its housing money proportionally so that um, BC gets a greater share of money, particularly Vancouver region, same as Toronto region, because we're getting the majority of the immigrants. And I I think that's a fair comment. Now, whether Ottawa will actually do that, I don't know. And of course, you've got, I think, the prime minister's comment the blunt comment on Monday, uh, he's been in power for eight years and maybe mentally he's starting to check out on some of the promises he made because he realizes that Ottawa can't solve these problems by itself. Right. Maybe this is part of the kind of refocusing as well that they're going to be doing, realizing that there's a lot of constraints right now economically for the government too, given the pandemic and all the spending that's been going on. Uh, well, that's true. But, you know, the federal government is also contributing mightily to inflation. And of course, it has more control over the Bank of Canada than anybody else, and interest rates are a factor. So I think you put all that together and you see what the BC government is up against, because, of course, David Eby is another of those politicians who promised affordable housing. And even with the most generous interpretation of what's going on here in British Columbia, Simi, we're headed in the opposite direction. Uh, Yes, British Columbia is building a lot of housing. But it is also bringing in more people than it can house. And, of course, it's behind schedule for an awful lot of people out there. So you've got problems in rental housing, problems in seniors housing, problems in the famous phrase, the missing middle. Good example here in the capital. The premier's new housing advisor, Lisa Helps, was mayor of Victoria when she came up with the missing middle plan here in Victoria. And David Eby endorsed it and gave her a housing job in his government because he liked it. Well, so far, the indications are, Simi, there have been no takers for that policy. There are no projects that fit the goal of the missing middle housing project here in British Columbia. And that is something that was undertaken by left of center city council, with the best of intentions. And to me, it just underscores how hard it is going to be to keep these promises to make housing more affordable. It's also It also strikes me here, Vaughn, that one of the things that David Eby said, especially when he was housing minister, was that you, know, you had to make municipalities say yes more often. And yeah. we don't really see that happening yet either. Uh, yeah, I remember we got the famous list that it infuriated right. the government when we called it the naughty list, but they named 47 municipalities in British Columbia that were going to have to do more and approve more housing. Well, where is it? Yes, I know it takes time, but 
David Eby didn't give himself much time. He said, you're going to see results before the next election. It's, what, 14 months away with the most generous interpretation of the schedule. And I think what we're really seeing here is that, yes, it takes cooperation with all levels of government, also takes investors who are willing to invest in housing projects because they think there'll be a market for it. So I think this is going to be one of the big tests of the EB government and it can't be reassuring to the premier that it sounds like the prime minister is walking away from responsibility for helping the province when all levels of government are going to have to work together to tackle the problem. And even then, it is going to be difficult to keep up with a number of people who are moving to British Columbia for one reason or another and who want housing. Very true. Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Cindy.